0: Let's get into today's sermon. We are doing a series called Recon. Reconciliation is based on uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19. It reads like this. That God, has recon- has, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now... This, this is Paul talking to the uh, to the Corinthian church, and he's talking about God's heart. That God is on a miss is, is on a mission. His desire is to reconcile the world to Himself. God's main agenda and His main uh, His heart beats beats for the lost. His heart beats for the nation. So that's why God is reconciling man to Himself, and God has also reconciled us to Him to Himself. Right? We all reconcile to God. If you're not reconciled to God, give me a min, give me 45 minutes and let's try try again. Maybe you'll also be reconciled to God. And uh, above and beyond the reconcil- uh, God reconciling us to Himself, He's given us the message of reconciliation. The gospel is not just a one-way street where you receive and that's it. It's you receive. Now that you know, you have a responsibility to teach others. You have a responsibility. To pass it on. I remember watching this movie uh, called Pay It Forward. And this little boy would receive, would, uh, would do one good deed, and in return would ask the, the next person to do another good deed in return. It's similar to us. Jesus says, I'm, I'm doing you a favor, I'm letting you off, your sins are wiped and they're clean. Now go out there and tell the rest of the world what I've done for you. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures, well, I think it's my favorite because I've had to recite it so many times. Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. Therefore, uh, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to to observe everything that I have commanded you. God, this is Jesus' final words to the church. This is our mission statement as a church. You know, if Jesus didn't say this, we wouldn't have church today. We would, if He didn't say it. Sometimes I wish He didn't say it. You know how hard it is to disciple people? <laughs> <laughs> but He said it. And this is why we're here. This is our mission as a church. Is to go out there and make disciples of all nations. Hence why we're called every nation. We believe in this mission. This is our mission statement. We want to go to make disciples of all nations. But how can we disciple people if they don't know Christ Romans 10 says how can they call on the one they have not heard how can they uh, how can they hear unless someone preaches they cannot people can't we can't people we can't expect people to know Jesus without without us telling him telling them about him people can't know Jesus by osmosis we can't sit next to you in a taxi and say christian knees And then it rubs off. It won't rub off. We have to communicate. We have to. We will have to preach. Saint Francis of Assisi says, "Preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words." I don't know about Saint Francis. I I get his heart. His heart was, "Don't be yagidi 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 all the time. Do something." I get his heart. But in our modern day church, it's not about preach the gospel, uh, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. It's preach the gospel at all times. If never necessary, don't use words. Don't say it. If you start to talk about God in any, in some context, you, you looked at as a prude. It's like, what is wrong with you? You know, we're living in a world where it's, we're very anti-churched. The culture's anti-church. People are very skeptical of the church. If I really want to have a nice day, and I really just want to get into a debate and discussion, I'll just find a random street, a stranger on the street, start a conversation, and then tell them what I do for a living. I say, okay, so you. This is what they say to me. Oh, you. You. You are a pastor. Ah. Where? On campus. Hmm. Church, ne? Hmm. This young, and you're a man. <laughs> I'm like, yep, okay. So, um, just tell me, what are you doing with people's monies? I'm like, to be honest, honest to God, I've, uh, I think almost all the time, a non-believer, I tell them about what I do for a living, that question comes up, money, and am I sleeping around with all the congregants? Honestly, some people don't even believe me like no. I'm single. I'm not doing anything like no I know you pastors. I don't trust you. I know you We we we're trying to reach a world that is anti-church like I said It's cynical towards church and to be honest our, our friends with the snakes and the doom and and the grass and all those kind of things Don't do us favors Sometimes you wish you could just call them, hi, please stop it. Stop it. You're not doing me any favors here. Now, um, I, I just want to give you an example of the context of the church, that, of, of, of the world that we're trying to reach out to. Uh, there's a popular song by Sam Smith. It's by actually Naughty Boy featuring Sam Smith. It's called La La La. It, re- it reached um, It reached number one in 26 countries. It's a very popular song. It was very popular in 2000, uh, 2013. And I don't really know what the context of the song is or what these guys were on about. But I just want to take a, uh, just a s- little snippet of it and read it to you. Just to maybe under- give you a better understanding of the world that we live in. I love music, by the way. So I, I learn a lot from, uh, about pop culture through music. So um, let me just read the first verse to you. It goes like this. Hush. Don't speak. When you speak your ven- ven- venom, keep it, keep it shut. I hate it. When you hiss and preach about your new messiah, because your theories catch fire. I can't find your silver lining. I don't mean to judge. But when you read your speech, it's tiring. Enough is enough. I cover my ears like a kid. When, you, when your words mean nothing, I go la la la. I'm turning up the volume when you speak, because my heart can't stop it. I'll find a way to block it i'll go na na nah, nah, la 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 now this is 21 26 countries the song went number 1 So well, for me it speaks it, it speaks to the heart of the current generation i don't know about you but may, i grew up not really liking going to church i was forced to go to church <laughs> Either I was going to get beaten, and called a heathen, and second, God is going to send me to hell. So I went out of duty and out of honor to my mother. I never understood why. When I come to varsity, I was like, ha, mom, you're not here. Freedom! Sunday, what is on? Okay, I'm free. So that's the world we're coming to, where... My generation, I don't know about other people's generation, but my generation is tired of religion. My generation is tired of being told that you have to go to church. Why do you have to go to church? Just go. People are very cynical. And in fact, this word, um, this word preach, because we are called to preach the gospel, right? This word preach can sometimes get a little bit of a bad connotation to it that's why sometimes preachers don't even want to be called preachers anymore i'm i'm here to give a talk or a speech a lecture because we don't want to use the word preach anymore because the pre, the word preach is being associated with doctrine with indoctrinating people so we find it difficult for us, for our modern-day society, to, reach, to, to, preach the, to, to preach the gospel, to talk about God, to bring up God in, in, in many contexts. So uh, I just want to get into uh, my message for today. You know, we don't have a choice, really. We have to preach this gospel. People must know. There are a few things that I'm convinced of in life. One... I don't like pirates. (laughs) Two, I don't trust politicians all the time. Three, the gospel is the only hope for this world. Apart from Christ, this world has no hope. And if apart from Christ, the world has no hope, then we have no other option but to preach this gospel to the ends of the earth, like Jesus said. Now, the problem is that we sometimes are using archaic methods in the 21st century. Or maybe sometimes we're not fully understanding the methods. Uh, I don't know who it is, but I think it's Steve Murray. He likes to talk about this quite a lot. He says you need to crack your cultural code. You need to crack the context of where you find yourself. Because we're all called to make disciples. The way you make disciples in Umlaz is not the same you make disciples in Glenwood. In Umlaz, it's okay to greet your neighbor. In Glenwood, it's not. I stood outside my neighbor's door for five, for, for ten minutes and they didn't open. And I was just asking for, for, for ladies. So the context is different. We find ourselves in different contexts, in context, but we need to crack the code. We need to crack our our cultural code, when, and we actually need to understand the questions that each generation is asking. I was looking for a cleaning lady. <laughs> we need to we need to crack the code and ask and answer the question that each generation is asking. The gospel, if the gospel is truly the hope of the world, and the world is looking for an answer, and God has all the answers. But the problem is that sometimes we're answering the wrong questions. We're not listening to what other people are saying. We need to speak. You know, there's this thing that church people really hate, but it's truth. We need to be relevant. And when I say relevant, I don't mean we need to be hip and cool and whatever. But we need to understand the times. We need to be relevant to other people. Hence why I use Sam Smith and all these pop culture references, because I, I, I work on a campus and I need to I, and this, I need to talk the language that the students understand. Now if I come here and I, uh, I'll i be telling them about uh, Macbeth, Macbeth. <laughs> I'm not gonna win. Thank you. I'm not gonna win. <laughs> I'm not gonna win because it's not relevant. We need to be relevant in our context, in every situation. And I believe Jesus was the most relevant person you'll ever know. He he spoke about fish to fishermen. He spoke about farming to farmers. Jesus was very relevant. And uh, today's sermon is really called God-Ordained Conversations. Uh, But because of uh, Asipe and her creativity, she decided to call it Godversations. So I like the <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the CPS title more than God ordained conversations. So conversations. I, I I keep I kept it and I'm sticking to it. Uh today's text is coming from uh uh where is it coming from? It's coming from John four, verse seven till thirty. Because I'm trying to be relevant, we're gonna be reading it in the message version. Uh uh if you don't have a message version just follow on the screen. And TK will do us the honor of reading it because it's very long.
1: (laughs) A woman, a Samaritan, came came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is so deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob? Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it he and his sons and livestock and passed it down to us jesus said everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again anyone who drinks the water i give will never thirst not ever the water i give will be an will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life the woman said sir give me this water so i won't ever get thirsty won't ever have to come back to this well again He said, go call your husband, then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet? Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worship God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, women... The time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the the Father, neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come. When what you're called will not matter and when you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way that you live. Sorry, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is Shia being being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming. When he arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am he, Jesus said. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of a woman. No one said what they were think, no one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. Thank
0: you. Thank you TK. <laughs> so, so this is a, this is a, a conversation that Jesus has with a woman, and uh, I really believe that this, uh, this piece of scripture has very an important message for us uh, in terms to in terms to the topic of God ordained conversations. And it can really speak to us in our context. And it's such a well-known scripture and it's very well well articulated and preached on. But I just want us to take a couple of observations from the scripture. First, I would like to start by looking at this woman. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about her. The first thing I want you to notice is that she's spiritual. She's very aware of spiritual matters. She said to Jesus, well, our ancestors worship God on this mountain, but you Jews insist that we should worship God in Jerusalem. Now she knew her worship system; she knew her structure. She's a spiritual person. She's not a heathen. Second thing I want you to notice is that uh, she had a very strong sense of cultural pride. You know, she was like she understood that she was a Samaritan woman. And she was very proud of her being Samaritan. And in fact, her line is, uh, "You being a Jew, uh, how can you ask me a Samaritan for a drink of water?" Reminds me of my cousin. And my cousins, when they start to the fighting, and they'll be like, "Oh shame, samari." So that basically meaning, we don't mix. I'm me. There's this. She has this very strong sense of cultural pride of who she is. Thirdly. Uh, she has a very negative attitude towards the Jews. She's like, you Jews, you being a Jew. She doesn't like Jews. Samaritans and Jews never got along because of how their ancestors separated and all of that jazz when the other ones decided to uh, betray God and go off to Babylon and stuff. And uh, fourthly, she had baggage. She had five husbands and she was on her sixth. She had baggage. Now, all of these four things are some things that I think we are relevant to our culture and are relevant to the people that we find ourselves around. The people that we find ourselves around are very spiritual. One, one out of every ten South African believes in, well, one out of every ten South Africans doesn't believe in God, which means one out of nine South Africans are God believing people. So it's very rare that we'll find atheists in this country. We find them, you know, but it's very rare. So the people we are trying you and I are trying to reach out to are spiritual. Uh cultural pride. We all know about this. Everyone has their own sense of cultural pride. It's like, oh, you can't tell me nothing about your Jesus. Your Jesus is white. I am black. I need a black messiah, he's a a black god, I I need someone who speaks to me as an African person. A white person would say, that is a bunch of lies perpetuated by by, by, by the man who is trying to uh, oppress free thinking spirits like us. I'm not uh, stereotyping white people, but that's what my white friend said (laughs) when he saw a Bible. And um, a negative attitude towards church, a very anti-church. Don't tell me about church. Don't tell me about this. No, let's not get into it. People have. This is what the people that we're trying to reach out to, and they have baggage. People have baggage. They have problems. They have life. Life happens. You know, and when you engage in sin, sin, sin bites, and sin will have the results of sin itself. Now, we, we, I've found myself in this context, and I've seen people like this. I don't know about you, but that's what I've seen. And I really want us to look at how Jesus addresses this problem. To me, uh, to me, this is like Jesus' masterclass. I, I I take a bow. I take a bow, sir. (laughs) And uh, first. The first thing Jesus does is that he doesn't preach to her. There's a song that we sang earlier that says, "Fill us out, pour us out." You know, it's taken from a scripture, Acts one eight. It says, "When the holy, when, but when we receive power, when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, until the ends of the world." Now. Jesus is saying, go be my witnesses. Have you ever seen a witness casting judgment? No, we don't. What do witnesses do? Witnesses get up. They tell you what, they tell you what they've seen. They tell you what they've heard. They tell you what's happened to them. And Jesus asks us to be that. To be His witnesses. He's filling us up with His Spirit so we can be His witnesses. I know it's nice to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's really great. But I just really don't like the second connotation that we need to be witnesses till the ends of the world. But that's what we're called to do. We are called to be Christ witnesses. And Jesus, what He does with this woman is she has, He has a very simple conversation with her. And He addresses all these issues. Now, one of the biggest problems that we we face in the world is that we are afraid, We are so afraid of answer, answering questions that non-believers have. Like, uh, I don't know. That's why we end up, I believe. That's why we end up preaching sometimes. Receive Jesus. Just receive Him, and then and then we run away. Uh, this reminds me of this other guy who was evangelizing outside P Block long, long ago, and I was still a student. And uh, he saw a bunch of guys standing there together, and he just walked up to them, and he was like, "Yamfun jess. <laughs> Basically saying, do you want Jesus? Here here he is, I'm giving it to him. I was like, and then my friend came back to me, into my room, and was like, you can't believe what that guy did. Here I am trying to have a civil conversation with someone. He comes and he's th- like, who is he to think that he can just offer Jesus like that? Is Jesus a peppermint? So we're afraid of people's questions, and we we, we tend not to we tend not to answer. We tend not to want to get into discussions because oh, I don't want to answer questions. I want to I don't want to answer questions of evolution. I don't want to answer questions of uh, morality and all of that. Too big, too too much for me. Uh, But you know what? One of the biggest mistakes that we make is that we think we have to have all the answers. Witnesses don't have all the answers. They only the only thing they know is what happened to them. Witnesses don't have all the answers. We don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to have all the answers. The apostles never had all the answers. You know, there's this awesome answer that we Christians are so afraid of. I don't know. It's very spiritual to say, I don't know. You're not lying, you're telling the truth. And go back and research and find out more. There are three questions that every person in every in every belief system must answer. There are three questions that every human heart is longing for. There are three questions that almost everyone must answer for themselves. Not us as Christians, but every person who's alive on this earth. And those questions are, where did we come from? Question of origin. It's not up to us as Christians to answer that. Everyone must answer that. Secondly, what are we doing here? Question of purpose. What are we here for? Thirdly, where are we going? question of destiny where is this all? what is it worth it what, what is it worth for what are we doing what is this all going to end up in everyone must answer those questions not us as christians everyone must answer those questions now jesus addresses these questions in this conversation in a very nice way and we're going to get into that but don't be afraid of other people's questions because the truth is they also have to answer for themselves Alright. The first question is the question of origin. Where do we come from? Genesis 1 verses 26 says, uh, we are made in the image and the likeness of God. The Christian believes that we are made in God's image and His likeness. I don't know about any other worldview, but I don't, I've never seen any other religion or any other worldview that gives humanity such a compliment that we are made in God's image. There's a difference between being made in God's image and likeness than being created by God. There's a difference between uh, a uh, a book, well, no, not a book, a uh, a DIY project that Uba Blanga does than uh, all his children. Some one is more valuable than the other. Now, God places such great value on us that He puts His image on us and His likeness in us. Which means that all humanity is valuable. Money has value because of the image that's in it. Now, if you think about the Muslim, Muslims say we're all God's creation. We're not really made in His image, that's blasphemy. We're not made in His uh, his likeness, that's also blasphemy. I don't know about... uh, African religions believe that we're created by God, but we're not really made in His image or His likeness. So, it's such a great compliment. And... Jesus answers this woman, uh, addresses this question that this woman has, but he addresses it in a different way. Origin is not just a question of where do you come from, but it's also a question of worth. People listen to you more when they know where you come from. If you come from Kobo Kobo High, no one's going to listen to you. If you come from Hilton College, people don't listen to you. He comes from Hilton College. <laughs> <laughs> all right, <laughs> uh, So it's a question of worth. I remember when I was a child, we, I, I used to play around, and when Sons do this quite a lot. I used to play around and I used to dig and, uh, in, in my mom's yard, thinking I'm, I'm a miner and I'm looking for treasure and all of that. And this other time I found a button. I think it was a jacket, a, a button of a jacket. It was very dirty. But the only thing I saw, it, had, it was a round thing and it had some writing on it. I was like, ooh, money! It looked like money, but it wasn't money. Now, I found it valuable because of the image that was in it. Because of the image that we have on us, on our lives, on us, on, on, our, on ourselves, we are valuable. When Jesus speaks to this woman, he doesn't come and says, you're valuable, my dear child. He treats her with value. His disciples were saying, His oh, uh, disciples were like, we're shocked that He's talking to such a woman. That type of woman. You know, the type of people that when you just get around with, you feel like their non-believerness is going to jump onto you, so you just like, <laughs> stay away. <laughs> so for them, this is what that type of woman was. That type of woman. She was isolated from a community. You know, no one goes to the to the well by themselves. We go in, they go in, people go in groups. Isolated by a community. She's a Samaritan, which the Jews just loathe and don't like. And what Jesus does is she, he treats her with dignity. He says, give me, may you please give me a drink of water? It's like... Okay, she's taken aback by his request. He treats her with dignity. Despite all the covering and all the dirt, Jesus sees the value, the image that is placed on her. And he treats her with dignity. We're also called to do the same thing. Treat people with dignity. See the treasure inside of people despite the dirt. Despite all the other things, see the treasure in people. Because when you remove all the dirt and all the... Funny funk and all of that, we're made in God's image and we're made in God's likeness. And we're all worth it. There's no one who's less than the other. There's no one who's more significant than the other. So Jesus answers this question of origin and worth and meaning. Secondly is the question of purpose. Why are we here? Question that plagues a lot of people. The Christian worldview and the Christian belief believes that human, uh, uh, the humans, human race's greatest need and its greatest desire, the purpose of humanity, is to worship God. The ultimate end of all humanity is to worship God. And I believe that's true. If we look around, there's so much worship that's going on. I mean, like, if you go to town right now, there are a lot of people scattered all over the city, going to watch all different kinds, of forms of worship. And if you go to Europe, yeah, the churches might be empty, but the soccer stadiums are full. And what they're doing there does seem like worship to me. I don't know about you. Hands up in the air.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, so there's there's this longing for hum- as humans we have this longing to worship something we want to worship something that's because we created to worship god now the problem is that we take this desire and we fill it with all kinds of different other things we fill it with sports we fill it with we fill it with money we fill it with fame we fill it with all kinds of different things we worship all kind all, all sorts of other different things because there's this longing to worship there's this longing for worship. And Jesus speaks to this woman about this worship thing. And when the woman asks him and, and him and he says, so, you are prophets I see. Well, tell me, our ancestors worship God in this mountain, but the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, right? Then Jesus says, believe me, woman, this time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, you worship uh, guessing in the dark. We we Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But a time, is com- a time is coming and has come, in fact, where we are called to worship God in spirit and in truth. Other versions say that. You know, we focus on so much on the technique and all of that. We are called to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, The Jews worshipped God in the temple. Old Testament worship was done in the temple. According to uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 16, it says, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. In the Jewish language, worship and service, the words worship and service are synonymous. It's like they're almost interchangeable. You could use them in the same way. Worshipping God and serving God are literally pretty much the same thing to, 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 to the Jewish culture. So, if we are called to worship God, which means to serve Him, and we are the temples of God, that means whatever we do is worship. Or everything that we do is supposed to, we are called to worship God. Your work is supposed to be worship unto God. Your family is supposed to be worship unto God. Everything that you do is called to be, is, is meant to be worship unto God. But we have come up with a system where we separate. Sunday for God, the rest of the six other days are for me or my boss. Then Saturday is for me. But God is saying all of it belongs to Him. Everything that we do is supposed to be an act of worship. Now, the problem with this is that, um, like Jesus said, you Samaritans are worshipping in the dark. We all like worshipping, but some of us are worshipping in the dark. Literally mean well, if you translate this, worshipping in the dark, it means you're lost. Have you ever been in the dark? It means you're lost. That's what Jesus is saying. You're pretty much lost. You have a desire for something, but you don't know what it is. Humanity has a desire to worship, but sometimes they don't know what it is. And the biggest problem with that is sin. Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Him who has clean hands and a pure heart. We cannot worship God in sin. We need to be righteous first before we can worship God. We cannot enter into the courts of God when we are in sin. We have this big issue as humans and this big problem and it's called sin. And we love it. A lot. I I, I spend time with uh, with students on campus and sometimes they understand the gospel. You share the gospel, they understand. Uh, yeah, I hear you. Yes, but I have too many girlfriends and I can't give them up. So I'm just going to focus on my girlfriends and I'll see God later. There's this problem of sin. And other people address it by, if I come to church and worship God, my sin will go away. We cannot worship in sin. Even in uh, in the Old Testament, when God redeemed the Israelites from out of Egypt, worship was only instituted after redemption. He had to take them out of, Israel, of, of Egypt, which is redemption, through the waters of the Red Sea, baptism, And into Mount Sinai, when he instituted the commandments, the service unto the Lord, which is worship. There's this big problem in in, in our desire to worship, and that's sin. And the only way we can get rid of sin is through Christ. There is no other way. There is no other religion. In in the African context, there is no way we can address sin, except for when you die, your family has to do it for you, on your behalf. For the Hindu, you get what you deserve. Karma. What goes around, comes around. For the Muslim, you need to work for all your bad deeds. Now for, for the Christian, it's very simple. You just have to surrender to Jesus. Only Jesus offers redemption. Only Jesus is the only one who's offering insurance for the all, all of humanity. No one is. If you spend time with people, there are very few people who are sure that they go to heaven. Except for the ones that are, you know, understand the gospel and are Christian. They're the only ones that are sure they'll go to heaven. Go to any other worldview, they tell you, I don't know. I'm not sure. But Christ is the only one who offers us a guarantee that we'll get to enter heaven. He said, because I live, you can live also. I go to the Father to prepare a place for you. Who knows the way to heaven except for the one who has come from heaven? And all our other methods of trying to get to God are us feeling around in the dark. Jesus is the only answer to this problem of sin. So he addresses this question to this woman by simply saying, offering her living water. Notice that Jesus offers this woman living water before actually asking her about, talking about her life. But some of, I don't know, but some of us would be like, aha, you of five husbands, you're here. Ne? <laughs> you're such a sinner. You need to repent first and then have living water. But what Jesus does is, is that I offer you living water. And then subsequently starts talking about the problem of sin in her life. Let's talk about this issue that you have, this brokenness that you have. God offers us the same thing. And there's no one else who can offer it to us. Freely given. Freely freely received. Uh, The final problem is the problem of destiny. What is it for? And is it worth it? What is it for and is it worth it? One of my favorite scriptures is in Corinthians when Paul says, um, I'm paraphrasing it, if Christ isn't, re- isn't resurrected, then let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Without Jesus, your life, my life, is meaningless. We just came to this earth, we had a few laughs, met a couple of people, and then we eventually we're eventually all going to die, and it's all going to mean nothing. Your pain means nothing, my pain means nothing, because at the end, it's all worthless. But Jesus is the only one who brings meaning to it. In Romans 8:18, 8, uh, it says, "I consider that our present suffering, our present sufferings are, are not worth comparing with the glory that, we will, uh, that will be revealed in us, meaning that what is happening now is nothing compared to the glory that we'll received that will be received." The pain that we're feeling will all make sense. In Romans 8, Paul continues to say, He makes all things work together for our good. For the Christian, pain has a meaning, loss has a meaning. Because at at the end, God will bring it all together. He will make all things work together for your good. It will all make sense. God's promise is that He will wipe every tear. And there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering. I don't know about any other person who can offer you that guarantee. I don't know. I don't know any other person. It's another question. That's a final question that that Jesus in the gospel addresses. The question of destiny. Now with this woman, the woman uh, turned around at the end and he said to Jesus, The Messiah who's coming will make all things known to us. And Jesus says, I am he. I'll make all things known to you and your people. He answers the question of destiny. I am the way and the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. And no one comes to the Father before, but through me. Jesus is the only hope. Now, we have nothing to be afraid of. We may not know everything. But the major questions on the Christian, in Christianity are answered. Ravi, Ravi Zacharias is uh, like saying for the Christian joy is central because the greater questions in life are answered but for the non-Christian joy is peripheral because the greater questions in life are not answered but the smaller questions are answered the big questions are, are answered we're made in God's image we're meant to worship God and at the end of life we get to be with God that's all the answer you need is the all is the earth new is the all is the earth old in 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 eternity who cares really <laughs> so that's what we call to do. this is that's um uh, my, my, my um my take on the scripture now there's a method that we like to use uh, when we do the God test which is sharing the gospel with this little thing here it's called salt and uh, I want you to notice that Jesus actually used this method in this conversation he started a conversation hey please offer me a water please offer me water and he asked questions well the woman asked questions but Jesus also asked questions where's your husband and he listened and then he told the story I will offer you living water. I am He. The same thing, this is what we should, this is something that we could do in our day to day lives. You know, evangelism is not when Mac comes up here and says, guys, we're going out. And then we're all, yay, evangelism, evangelism, all four of us. (laughs) But evangelism is when you start to have a conversation with someone who doesn't believe God. Someone who's considered that woman. Someone who's considered that man. Or that guy. Who's in your, who's who's in your world. Who's in your life. Mac and his team cannot reach people in your world. Only you can reach them. Jesus started a conversation in a, in, in a, in a, uh, in a well. You know. A well. Where people go. In our modern day life, it's probably the shopping mall. That's where he started conversation, simple conversation. You know what happens as he continues and and, uh, as they go on and Jesus' disciples come back. Jesus speaks to them after that awkward conversation of, Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? Now Jesus is addressing that question of why am I talking to that woman. In uh, John 4, verse 35. He says to them, Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest time. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus wasn't talking about harvest, harvest. He was talking about lost people. He says, open your eyes and see. Where was He? He was at a well. He had His eyes open. I'm not sure if the disciples' eyes were open, but Jesus had his eyes open. He saw the woman for what, he was, for what she was, a creation of God, a person who carries the image of God, who carries the value of God, who's worth it. And he started a conversation and he presented the gospel to this woman. Where, who are the people in your wells that need the gospel? Who are the people... In your area, your your, your sphere of influence, your neighbors, your teammates, your classmates, your, your co-workers, all of those people. God is asking us to open our eyes. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. All we need to do is just open your eyes. And ask some, and start a conversation, ask some questions, tell, listen, tell a story. Start a conversation, ask a question whether, or where they're at. Do you believe in God? Why don't you believe in God? What are your bearers to believe in God? God test is great for such things. And then you begin to engage a person, then you find out their barriers to belief. You know those four things, that uh, five or four things, four things I started by uh, talking about, the spirituality, the anti-church, and all of that, and all of that. Uh, when I teach my BMC students, I always tell them, when you speak to someone, always look out for someone, for that person's barrier to belief. There's always that thing that's holding someone back. Is it my faulty understanding of God? Is it a faulty understanding of of Christianity that it's meant for white people only? Is is it a faulty understanding of the Bible? Is it hurt? This this woman's barrier to belief was hurt. She was hurt by the Jews. It was hurt by her community. Now, that's what we need to do. In our conversations, let's look for those barriers of belief and then let's address them. Like we said, Fill us up and pour us out. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you and to lead you in these conversations. You know, if you really want God to work some great things into you, get into conversation with non-believers. Because that's where His heart is at. And He'll start revealing things to you that you don't even know. I mean, like, sometimes when I'm talking to non-believers, I'm like, Oh, that's good.
1: (laughs) I don't know that.
0: (laughs) Did I say that? Okay, I should write that down somewhere. I I think I should know that. Uh, But that's because God will empower you in this situation. God's heart is for the lost. There's this great question that Malcolm would like to ask all the time. He says, um, If Jesus was here in our day, where would he be? Will he be here with us? Or will he be out there with the non-believers? Answers, he will be out there. Well, when we are out there, let our, hearts be, uh, let our hearts and minds be open to see them for who they are and to share the gospel with them. You know more than most people do. If you've been in this church for a year, you know more than most people do. You know more than your neighbors do. At the beginning of, no, at the, when we moved into this venue, God gave us a word and he says he will fill this venue up. It's a prophetic word, it's a promise. But if you don't act upon a prophetic word, it has no meaning. If we don't do nothing about it, it's not going to happen. Because God gives you a word and he wants you to partner with him in that word. And it wasn't a word to the leadership of this team, it was a word to all of us as a church. That we are moving here to open up all this room so we can get more brothers and sisters to come in and enjoy the presence of God with us. And to fellowship with us. And uh, finally. I just want to read. uh, John 4. 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed. In him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him. They urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of of his words, many more believed. This woman's testimony was simple. He told me everything that I ever did. Some some people actually believe that if this might not be the right phrasing, the right phrasing might be, he told me everything that I ever did and he did not judge me for it. All that this woman remembers is the love of God. Ultimately, it's the love of God. That will change man. It's not our eloquence. It's not our knowledge. It's the love of God. If we have the heart of God. And we want to love on our neighbor. Like uh, Jesus said. Love your neighbours, you love yourself. The heart of God will transform people. It's not up to us. All that we need to do is just to be witnesses. And to share God's word. Now I want to encourage you. When you go out today. And you go out in your week. Open your eyes. Look, for the harvest is ripe. Open your eyes. Find somebody. Start a conversation. Ask questions. Listen. Tell a story.